Well, I am honored that you guys are here spending your Wednesday night with us. Um, it's pretty awesome to see all of your faces in this space. Um, so over this summer, I had the opportunity to go on our middle school mission trip. And I got asked to do this because last minute, week of, someone dropped out. And so they asked me to step in, but the catch was I didn't get to just be a normal leader. They needed me because I was over 25 to drive one of the 15-passenger vans. And you see, I felt very inadequate for that role. And for a few reasons. One, because I've never driven a 15-passenger van before and had um, multiple middle schoolers in my care to get safely to a location and all over the town the rest of the week, but also because I'm used to being a passenger on road trips, not the driver, because my awesome husband Aaron doesn't trust my driving skills, and so he would rather do the driving. Yeah, he's like, can I get an amen over there? Um, but I will gladly take on the passenger seat because that means I don't have much responsibility, right? I get to scroll through social media, I can do some online shopping, and I can take a nap whenever I want. But if I'm in the driver's seat, I have to be responsible. And so I had to take on this extra level of responsibility being the driver instead of the passenger on this road trip with a whole bunch of middle schoolers. And I'm pleased to say that we made it there safely. We had a great time. I think we have some pictures up here. They were super sweet. Um, but their experience on that van was much different than my experience. Um, first of all, we did hit a few curbs, but we, we made it safely. I think they were trying to get a count by the end of the week, and um, one of them came up to me last week and was like, have you hit any curbs since, since we rode together to Arlington? I'm like, no, it's just a 15-passenger van. I don't normally do that. Um, but their experience on the van as passengers was much more relaxed, where I had to be on guard all the time. Like I was clenching the steering wheel um, because I was responsible for their lives, right? So in the same way, I think that we as followers of Jesus have responsibility as we walk this earth, that we cannot just walk around as consumers, as passengers, but we have to take responsibility. We're called to be drivers. So I want to look at Genesis chapter 1 as we unpack this. I think if we're trying to understand our calling, who we are, and how God made us, it's important to start at the beginning. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 together, starting in verse 26. It'll be up on the screen for you to follow along as well. It says, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, 
I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So on the sixth day of creation here, we learn that God made humans, and he made humans set apart from anything else in creation. He made us Imago Dei in the image of God. And so I want to talk about what, what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And there's a few things we notice as we read this text that God, again, set, set humans apart from any other creature. And God also speaks directly to humans for the first time. He doesn't speak directly to anything else in creation. So this shows a relationship here with humans. And then God says that there is nothing else imaged on this earth other than humans. So if we think back to who the original audience was for of this text, it was the Israelites who were in exile in Babylon. Okay, so the origin story, the creation narrative that we have today was a narrative that was passed down from generation to generation by oral tradition, right? But then when we get to, our, to this text that is actually written down here, it was written down for the, Babylon, or for the Israelites who were exiled to Babylon. And so that helps us understand some context, understand th some things they were going to and why this would be important to them. The first thing is that these people were already living in response to the Ten Commandments, okay? So if we, these people were already living in response to um, Deuteronomy 5.8, one of the Ten Commandments, it says this, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. So it's saying you cannot have any images of God. They're living in response to that already. So that's ingrained in their head that we cannot make any images of God. And then they're also living amongst the Babylonians who have all sorts of God, all sorts of images of God that they're worshiping. And so they're trying to not fall into that temptation and trying to be set apart. And so they're avoiding any images. And then so to hear that a part of their, who they are, that they are image bearers of God was pretty radical, right? To see nothing else in creation could image God except the person that's sitting next to you. And this was pretty radical to them to hear this, knowing that we get to be image bearers of God. And that is because we are relational, we are free, and we have the power to rule. Which brings me to my next point is that in this time also, they were very used to kings ruling the earth, right? And kings would often refer to themselves as made in the image of God because they knew they had all this power to rule. So they would say, we're made in the image of God. And so in the creation narrative, for us to read that we all are made in the image of God was also a very radical statement. 
This statement wasn't just reserved for kings, for those of high social status, for those who were important or popular or wealthy, being made in the image of God is for all people. And you see, for those people who were receiving this creation narrative, they had lost hope. They were like, does God even care about us anymore? Because they were taken away from their home and they were being persecuted. And this was a message of hope for them, that God sees all people as rulers. God sees all people made in his image. It's not just the people of high social status. So we are all, as image bearers of God, expected to take part in God's work here on earth. So how does Genesis say that we're supposed to rule? What does it actually look like to rule and be made in the image of God? Well, if you look back at the text, it says that we're supposed to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, and we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule and subdue it, right? And then later on in chapter 2, verse 15, it says that then the Lord God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So what does it mean to be a ruler? It means we garden. That's what God's saying. It means we garden. And although I've gotten really passionate recently myself about how I think this literally means as Christians that we're supposed to garden and we're supposed to care for the dirt that we have been given, I'm not going to go off on that tangent tonight. And if you want to talk more about it later, we can. I would be happy to. But I do think this means more holistically that we all have to cultivate the spaces that we've been given. We all have responsibility to cultivate the spaces we've been given. So what is growing on your land? What's growing on your land? And I want you to think about what are your spaces? What's your plot of land that you've been given? That's like your, your home, your apartment complex, your neighborhood, your school, your classroom, your workplace, the places you frequently go, like the grocery store or the gym or Mi Pueblo, whatever place that is for you, the places that you constantly um, go to, these are the plots of land that you've been given. So what are you growing in these spaces? Because we have responsibility to rule, right? Because we're made in the image of God. So I think some lies that we've bought into with this call is that to be responsible, to make an impact in different spaces, we have to have a certain personality type, right? We have to have that leadership personality, or we have to be good at public speaking, or we have to um, have an outgoing personality, or we have to have a certain title in our job description, right? And whatever those lies that you believe that disqualifies you from making an impact, from being responsible for the plot of land that you've been given, that's a lie. Because God can use your weaknesses, and in your weaknesses, he makes you strong. Right? We just sang a song about how God works through so many different people throughout Scripture. Right? And I want to name a few of those. It's a trend, right, that we see in the Bible, that God chooses people that are weak by the world standards and makes them strong and works through them to make an impact on the place that God has put them. 
So we sang about it. Moses, for example, he was terrified of public speaking, and he's someone that I like to relate to myself. But God made him weak, or made him strong where he was weak, and he used him to get his people out of Egypt. God used David, who was a small, young shepherd boy, right, to defeat a giant. God used Mary, a young girl of no status, to birth the savior of the world. And what did that savior come in the form of a baby in the manger, right? He didn't come as a king ready to rule by society standards. He came as a humble servant. He didn't ride in on a horse. He rode in on a donkey. And then we see who Jesus chooses to be on mission with him, right? He chooses people of low social status over and over again to carry out his mission because God chooses to work through people whom we might declare as weak and makes them strong. So you have responsibility. God can use whatever giftings you have to make an impact on the places that you've been given. God can even use your weaknesses. God can use your weaknesses to make an impact. And I also think we struggle with feeling like the spaces we've been given we're not actually responsible for. Like, oh, that's not in my job description, so I don't have to deal with that right? Or, oh, I don't have time for that today. I'm not going to go talk to that girl who I just walked by that's crying on my way to class. That's not my responsibility. But we have responsibility to make an impact on the spaces that we've been given. Aaron and I are about to move into our very first house, and we're so excited and the moment that we sign that document on closing day, that house is ours, and it becomes our responsibility. And if something breaks, we don't get to just call maintenance anymore and say, hey, we need you to come fix this, right? Like, it's our responsibility to take care of something if it breaks or figure out who we're supposed to call. And it's our responsibility to think through what kind of environment do we want to create in this home? What do we want people to experience when they walk in our doors? And it's our responsibility to make sure we have enough seats to host people. We have a pretty big small group, and it's our responsibility to think through how are we going to make this space a space where people can hang out and feel comfortable and have a place to sit. And it's our responsibility if someone comes in our house and it's a mess, right? That's not anyone else's fault. It's our fault if they come in and our place is a mess. And so in the same way, the spaces, our plots of land that we've been given here on earth are our responsibility. God has gifted us. God's put us in each of these places for a reason. And are we going to be proud to invite people into those spaces? Are we going to be in, and make those spaces places that are bearing fruit, places that people experience God's goodness and love and mercy. What kind of homes are we nurturing? So I want to turn to the end now, to Revelation 21. We started in the beginning. We're going to go to, all the way to the end. I'm making it extra easy on you tonight to find our passages. So we're going to be in Revelation 21, almost the very last chapter of the Bible. 
I know we're studying this at church on Sunday, so sorry this might be a little spoiler, but I thought it was really important for us to go here. So Revelation 21, we're going to start in verse 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, so the dwelling place of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So you hear what John is saying here. He's saying that humans aren't going to escape off to this mystical world. No, he's saying God is coming here. God is coming here and he's going to make this place new. So we should therefore care about here if God cares about coming here right? This place matters. God hasn't given up on this place, so neither should we. If God descended here today, if he descended into your home, would you be proud to invite him in? Would you be proud to invite God in, or is your place a mess? I think that theologian Norman Wisbeth says something really helpful. He says, the wide scope of planet Earth's degradation and destruction suggests that many people, Christians included, do not believe the world matters much. Though it may have been created long ago as a garden of delight, which is what Eden literally means, it has long lost many of its ideal qualities. Who wants to dwell in a toxic swamp, a dead zone, or an asphalt strip mall? As a result, we do not find much of this world to be a home or a garden worth cherishing or inviting God to dwell in. So how did this come to be? What sorts of capacities do we need to develop that this world and this life can be seen in a way similar to how God sees it, as good and beautiful and worthy of being cherished and celebrated? So we can't fall into the lie that this world doesn't matter, this place doesn't matter. You've been put in the spaces for, that you've been given for a reason. The spaces that you have, what are you growing? What are you cultivating? And yes, I want to say our world is broken and full of sin and death, and you're not going to be able to fix it all. You're not going to be able to make your, place, your spaces perfect. That's not what I'm saying you're supposed to do tonight. But you are supposed to be a part of God's work and ushering in the kingdom here. Right? We pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so how are you being a part of God's mission to make this place new again? How are you bringing fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Are you growing those things in your spaces? Are you growing toxic things like gossip 
and hurry and pride. What are we growing? What are we cultivating? Y'all, we're image bearers of God, so we have responsibility. We have responsibility to cultivate. So how are we going to fight the temptation to not just be consumers in this earth? To not just be consumers, but to be drivers. What seeds can you be planting to grow fruit? Whether that's in your classroom, whether that's speaking truth to someone you interact with, or what opportunities you have in front of you to take responsibility and be an image bearer of God. Maybe that looks like confronting conflict in your life that you've been avoiding for a long time. Or maybe you know someone who's really struggling and stepping in and asking how you can care for them. Or maybe you've heard us talking about needs in kids' ministry and you feel the Spirit tugging on your heart that you need to be responsible and step up. Or maybe you need to step up and be a spiritual leader on your teams or your teams at work. So I wanna, I wanna end by saying this. I think that it is pretty awesome that there is this many young people, this many of people in our generation that's gathered in this room, right? Because people our age are walking away from faith like crazy, right? For our parents in the Bible Belt here, it was very normal for people to follow Jesus. But I know I'm not the only one feeling it, that you, the people that you're interacting with in your spaces, the people in our generation, you can tell that there's something different, right? People are trying to follow their own truth instead of following the truth of Jesus. There's a lot of darkness. And y'all, there is power in this room, there is power in this room because you are rulers and you have responsibility to bring light into the spaces that you have been given. And I truly believe that through this space, if we would all step up and take responsibility and ask the Lord to work through where we are weak, that there can be a revival in this place. Not in the whole world, we're not responsible for that. We're responsible for the ground we've been given and that's here in Belton Temple. And so if we as young adults and college students would go out in our spaces and realize that we have a responsibility to be a light and not just say that's somebody else's problem. That brokenness that I see, that's somebody else's problem or believe the lies, I'm not good enough to make an impact here. You're right, you're not good enough, but God is and God can work through you. And so I just wanna encourage us live into that responsibility, to live into your identity as image bearers of God. And I wanna end by saying this. Um, my youngest brother, he turned 16 today and he got his driver's license. I think we have a picture up there. Yeah, he's so cute. He's taller than me though, he's so big. Um, so he got his driver's license today and you can just see the excitement on his face because he is so proud to be able to drive himself to school. I actually think he got to pick up his girlfriend and take her to youth group tonight, which is so cute and he's not old enough to have a girlfriend. But he is so proud to have ownership and to be able to drive a car and have responsibility. And I'm sure he's a little fearful too, right? Because this is new and a lot of responsibility is scary. And I want you to think back to the first time you got your driver's license. 
that feeling of excitement and pride and ownership and a little bit of fear, I think that's the same feeling we should feel when we realize the responsibility that we have here on this earth. Excitement, I want you all to experience that excitement, but it's okay if you're a little nervous and you feel the weight of that. So I, just, I wanna invite us into taking responsibility this semester. And we're gonna unpack this a little bit more. Larry Locke, one of our elders, is gonna come next month and talk about what does it look like to have responsibility like Jesus. So we are just barely um, grazing the surface here, but I'm really excited to see how the Lord works through you guys and through us, through this space. Um, Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful that you, you want us to be a part of what you're doing here in this place. We're thankful that you haven't given up on us. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see where we need to take responsibility. That you would give us courage and confidence to know that we can make an impact through the power of your spirit working in us. God, we need your help. We look forward to the day where there's no more tears and pain and suffering. But until that day comes, let us be people who help other people see your goodness and your love and your mercy. God, you're amazing. You're so creative and we are honored You're honored to be made in your image. And I just pray that we would all not take that lightly. God, I'm thankful that we get to learn more about you by looking to the person next to us. You are so good. We love you and it's in your name. Amen.